Hello, and welcome to the All Saints Podcast. I'm Hugh Cole. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I hope that you're enjoying the podcast so far, and if you are, please tell your friends about us. And if you like what you've been hearing, please leave us a rating. Just like last week, we'll be bringing you the 10 a.m. sermon from All Saints Church, Chevy Chase, as well as the children's homily from the family table service. First up this week, we hear from our associate rector, the Reverend Britt Frazier, with a sermon for Sunday, September 20th, 2020, entitled, The Divine Labor of Perfect Love. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great kindness. I speak this morning in the name of our compassionate God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. What does a human being deserve for his or her labor? What is a human being entitled to receive from others or from God? About 1,700 years after this text in the Gospel of St. Matthew was written, the writer Victor Hugo asked similar questions. Victor Hugo's famous 1862 novel is called Les Miserables, and perhaps many of you are familiar with either the novel or the musical or the book. The story begins in 1812 with a convict Jean Valjean recently released after 19 years of suffering in prison. 19 years he's spent wasting away in this prison after being convicted of nothing more than stealing a loaf of bread to feed his starving sister. Upon his release, those 19 years later, he's wandering the countryside, unable to find a single place to stay. Because you see, not only does Jean Valjean suffer those 19 years in prison, he also suffers the fact that once he is released, he's anything but forgiven. It's the custom of the time for any convict who's been released from prison to have their identity papers, their passport, stamped with the mark of a convict. This mark gives anyone else that the convict, the former convict, meets along the road the right to refuse him anything. And so innkeeper after innkeeper refuses Jean Valjean even a place to rest his head for a single evening. He cannot find a place to eat or to sleep until he encounters the generosity of a humble priest. He encounters the generosity of one of my very favorite characters in literature, the Bishop Muriel, whose generosity of heart is in fact so great that he becomes known throughout his brief tenure in the novel as Bishop Bienvenue, Bishop Welcome in French. He has a generous spirit, a gentle heart, a trusting soul. And it is this person who offers the convict shelter from the weather and the darkness. Of course, it's not that simple. We know that the human condition is not that simple. Because after two decades of abuse, Jean Valjean cannot trust in, or hope for, or believe in kindness. 
And so he flees in the night, taking with him the bishop's valuable collection of silver. The police quickly track him down, and they drag him back to Bishop Muriel to convict him, this time planning to return him to prison for life. But when they meet again, face to face, the victim and the doomed thief, the bishop surprises them all. He embraces the man who stole from him. He insists that he gave the silver to Jean Valjean as a gift. And not only does he insist that Valjean take the entirety of the lot of silver, but he insists that the man take the valuable silver candlesticks as well. Valjean is not only spared from prison, but he is given a gift of extraordinary generosity, a new, undeserved possibility at abundant life. In our Gospel from St. Matthew this morning, Jesus is teaching his disciples about some similarly absurd and undeserved generosity, about a similarly abundant and inexplicably heavenly life. In chapter 19, just before we begin this parable, Jesus has been upending his listeners' expectations. He's insisting that the things that seem to bring us security in this world are not, in fact, the things that will get us to heaven. He presents them with this very famous parable of the landowner and the workers in the vineyard. The landowner, as we read, goes out early in the morning and hires a crew to work his land. He goes out a bit later, again bringing in a second group of workers. He does the same at lunchtime, and then in the afternoon, and the evening, and at the end of the day. The workers are shocked, angered, in fact, to discover that they are all paid precisely the same wage. Now, this is known to us, uh, to many of us, as the parable of the labors in the vineyard, but as I read this, it occurs to me that this could perhaps also be known as the parable that is particularly challenging for 21st century Americans. Most of us raised in the United States grow up surrounded by this mythos of reward in exchange for hard work. You get what you earn. If you are strong and successful, you will receive what is due. And if you work for 10 hours, then by gosh darn it, you're going to be more deserving of the person than the person who worked for five. Even small children have this inherent sense of an exchange-based justice, right? It's one of the first complaints that we levy against our siblings and our parents. It's not fair. There seems to be this earthly sense of order and justice somewhere within us, keeping us on alert for who has more and whether or not they deserve it. Most of us do not grow up learning to chase the thief, to give him our candlesticks. And so we struggle with this parable. Who is this landowner? Who are those laborers who got there first? And who are these laborers who come at the final hour and are paid the entirety of a hard day's wage? This vineyard imagery is abundant throughout the New Testament. And we see in each of the Gospels that a vineyard is the image that Jesus uses to describe the kingdom of God. God himself 
is the landowner. God hires those who tend the vine. But always, the vine itself belongs to him. In the early days of Christianity, the church fathers, writing in the 5th and 6th centuries, interpreted this passage in a particular way. They interpreted it to describe the expansion of God's promise. There was a sense that it was actually the Jewish people who were the earliest laborers in the vineyard. After all, they were the first inheritors of the covenant and promise of God's care. It's the Gentiles who are the latecomers, and yet both in the promise of God, the promise of the resurrection, the promise of Christian eternal life, both inherit the same daily wage. We might also, perhaps uh, more modern, in a more modern interpretation, understand the parable to teach us not to be concerned about the Christian life and journey of others. We shouldn't worry about the fact that some Christians are baptized as infants, and some of us come to believe much later in life. It doesn't matter when we come into the vineyard, but what matters is our faithfulness in our response to God's call to work there. The grace of God, the promise of eternal life, will be the same. In both cases, that of the Church Fathers and our more modern theology, both cases have a heart of the message that is quite clear. God's grace is pure, abundant, undeserved generosity. God's grace observes our petty, terrified acts of thievery and chases us down to insist that we also take the candlesticks. As God says to the prophet Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways higher than yours. No matter who we are, this parable of the laborers in the vineyard is good news. Because no matter who we are, no matter when we were baptized, no matter when we became to believe in Jesus, no matter how faithful we may be, sooner or later there will come a time when we are the laborers hired at the last hour. Every one of us, no matter where we are from or how many committees we serve on at church, no matter how long we've been ordained a priest, no matter how many others we've served in our lives of Christian generosity, Every one of us will have a season when it is late in the day. We will have no money. We will have no work. We will be wandering in the market in obscurity, fearful of the night ahead. And God will come to us at that last hour and invite us in. Perhaps this has already happened to you. Perhaps... That's why you're tuning into this service this morning. Perhaps that's you right in this very minute. I myself have never served time in prison like Jean Valjean in the story, but I remember a time in my own life when I sat alone in a strange place very far away from my home, grieving with no one to care for me. And I cried to God, I have nothing. I have nothing at all. And God said, yes, but I have you. 
Sooner or later, each one of us will be the latecomer to the vineyard. Sooner or later, each one of us will be like a convicted silver thief, fleeing from goodness in the night. But our good Jesus will not meet us with condemnation. He will meet us with mercy. He will insist against all human reason, all human conceptualizations of deservedness. He will insist that we must take the candlesticks as well. So listen to our merciful Jesus this morning as he speaks to us. Pay attention as he instructs our hearts in nothing less than the ways of heaven. Attend as he calls to each one of us to raise our eyes and our hearts above envy, above fear, above pettiness and scarcity, up to meet his gaze that sees each one of us as beloved. In this parable, we are given the generous gift of a foretaste of the vision of God, a vineyard of the faithful who serve him and know him in his abundance of generosity and peace. A vineyard where each one of us, no matter who we are or what season of our lives we find ourselves in, we're invited to pray as we did in our perfect collect appointed for the morning. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those things that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And now, a children's homily from Father Matthew Kozlowski. Well, hi. Father Matthew here with a children's homily for you today. And I'm in my car. Don't worry, I'm not driving. I'm parked in a parking lot. But today's theme is what to do when you make a mistake. And a car is a place where grown-ups often make mistakes. Have you ever been in a car when a grown-up drove too fast? Or maybe drove through a stop sign? Maybe even got a ticket? Well, this isn't a real ticket. But everybody makes mistakes. You might make a mistake at home or at school. In the Bible, there are lots of people who make mistakes. Adam and Eve made a mistake when they ate the fruit that God told them not to eat. Abraham and Sarah made mistakes. Remember when Sarah laughed at the promises of God? Moses killed someone. Or even King David, who made lots of mistakes and wrote Psalm 51 that talks all about his mistakes. The Bible has a fancy word for a mistake that you do on purpose. It's called a sin. You see, there are lots of mistakes that we do by accident. Those are honest mistakes. A mistake that you do on purpose is a sin because it oftentimes hurts another person or hurts ourselves or even hurts our relationship with God. Well, you know, and I know, that ultimately our sins are paid for by Jesus 
and forgiven because of what he did on the cross and in the empty tomb. But it's still really important to think about mistakes and sins and what to do when they happen in our life. So I'm going to tell you three things to do when you make a mistake. Number one, admit that you did something wrong. I'll give you an example. For me, one time I actually did get a real speeding ticket. Not this one, but a real one. And I had to say to myself, you know what, Father Matthew? You were driving too fast. You made a mistake on purpose, and you deserved that ticket. Sometimes it helps just to admit it. Number two, remember that God is full of love and mercy. You see, in Psalm 51, the psalm that I was mentioning, David starts off by saying, Oh God, my sin is ever before me, but you are merciful and full of love. So just because you mess up on purpose, it doesn't mean that you're no good and horrible and full of evil and that God doesn't love you. No, God still loves you because God is merciful and full of love and you still have goodness in you. Number three, try to move forward in a new way. You see, in the middle of that psalm, David says, O Lord, create in me a clean heart. What does that mean? Well, it's sort of like saying, Oh God, help me to be a little bit different going forward. That's what the word repentance means. Like for me, on that road where I got that speeding ticket a while ago, I always drive much slower on that road. It's almost like God has given me a new clean heart about that road. So there you go. Number one, admit that you made a mistake. Admit your sin. Number two, know that God is full of love and mercy and you still have lots of goodness in you. And number three, move forward in a new and different way with a new and different heart. Create in me a new heart, O God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the All Saints Podcast. To download future episodes automatically, you can subscribe and have the episodes delivered to you each week by going to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and clicking subscribe. And if you've liked the podcast so far, we would really appreciate it if you took a few minutes to give us a rating. As we continue to take steps towards being back together, please be safe, stay well, and God bless.